family. It's really good to see everybody here. Um, Zach, did you already mention the mask thing? Okay. So if you came in after Zach spoke, if you feel like you are socially distanced enough from somebody you're not related to and you'd like to take your mask off, uh, you're welcome to. You don't have to, but you're welcome to. It's really good to see all of you here this morning. Um, Appreciate you prioritizing this time for those of you who are free to do so. We recognize that a lot of people in our family are not free to make that choice. And some people in our family who are free are choosing to make a different choice, which we respect. I think the motive uh, for our family members who are not here but are free to be here is, is simply one of, of love, just maybe concern for well-being of family and friends or a desire to communicate love of neighbor. And of course, we have a profound respect for that. So no guilt or no shame in this family for, uh, for that decision. For those of our family members who are not here this morning, if our technology works correctly, we're going to upload this sermon immediately uh, following our first worship gathering so they can listen in. So I know I'm looking at you who are here this morning, but I, I want to say hi to everybody who's not here. And um, speaking on behalf of everybody who is in the room collectively, we miss you and we miss spending time with you as a family. And uh, we look forward to the future, next month, next year, 2025, whenever things get back to normal. You're probably going to PCS before that happens, but when we can actually be back together uh, all together as a family, we look forward to that day. So uh, we love you, we miss you, and we're praying for you, and we're glad that you're, you're listening in. So we are uh, pressing on near the completion of our Counterculture Kingdom series, a couple more weeks to go. Uh, what we've been learning is that Jesus' gospel changes absolutely everything about uh, who we are as people and about our lives. It, the gospel leaves nothing unchanged. Our series is rooted in Matthew, where the author works hard to help his readers see that Jesus is king. He's our rightful king. Jesus has every right to our lives. So we're not just talking about Jesus being our king on Sundays. We're talking about Jesus being our king in the everyday stuff of life, um, every moment of our lives. He has the right to rule over me. He's also our rescuing king. Jesus rescues rebels from God's just and deserved judgment. That's what we've been learning. And here's what we're going to focus on today. Jesus is our restoring king. He's our restoring king. Jesus restores rebel kids, that's you and me, into right relationship with our Father. That is our greatest need in life. That is, there, there's no other need that comes close. Jesus is our restoring king. He restores rebel kids into right relationship with their father. Uh, a guy named Dr. Anthony Bradley loves to talk about fathers and the impact they have on their children, especially sons. And he writes a lot about fatherlessness. Um, actually, if, you're, are you, if any of you are on the Twitter, I would encourage you to follow Dr. Bradley. Sorry, that's a really bad, bad photo that I just pulled off the internet. The pixels are terrible. I've learned so much from him. I, he speaks very wisely about matters of gospel and race and racial injustice and just the need for God's family to be what, I, if we need a metaphor, we should be the headlights in the conversation and not the taillights. Like we should be out front. We should be conviction. Jesus cares deeply about justice. He hates injustice. 
And so us as people, like we should be the headlights, not the taillights in the conversation. So I've, just, I've learned a lot from him about that. But uh, what I have really benefited from him as, as well is as it relates to being a dad. He writes so beautifully and powerfully about and convictionally uh, to men uh, calling us to be the fathers that, that God has created us to be. So I'd encourage you to follow him and, and read stuff that he's written. Here's what he wrote about fatherlessness. He said, fatherlessness affects all of us. And listen to this. It is the root of all kinds of evil and brokenness. Fatherless is not defined as children with deceased fathers, but rather children with absent fathers. Men who are absent physically, emotionally, and spiritually from the lives of their children are everywhere and all contribute to the pathologies related to fatherlessness. Now, the gospel talks about the fatherlessness that we experienced as rebels, but there's a little nuance here that we need to point out. This fatherlessness in our rebellion is not the result of an absent father. It is the result of absent children. We are not children with an absentee father. We are absentee children. The first created man, Adam, rebelled. He rebelled from the God who created him. His rebellion brought judgment. That judgment brought separation from his father. Uh, Now, that judgment wasn't just for Adam. It, It extended to Adam's race. It extended to every one of us. So that is a separation that you experience in your rebellion. You're born into it, and it's, an, it's a separation that I experience born into my rebellious state. And then we, we double down. We show ourselves to be just like Adam. In other words, while Adam's guilt is imputed or given to us, like we don't need it to be given to us. Like We would demonstrate that we have the same rebel heart that Adam had. We would earn our own condemnation, and we, we do. So we show ourselves to be just like him. We rebel, we run away, we hide from our father, we refuse to listen to our dad. So we don't have an absentee father, we are the absentee kids. We are so far from home in our rebellion, we are absent physically, emotionally, and spiritually from the life of our father. And as Dr. Bradley said, guys, look, we we have to catch this. Our fatherlessness is the root of our evil and brokenness. There's the root right there. In our rebellion, we ran so far from home that we could no longer see our father. It's not that our father can no longer see us. Uh, He can see everything and everywhere, all people at all time. We, We can't see the father in our rebellious state. We run far from home. We run so far from home that we can no longer hear his voice. Not that his voice can't reach, but that our ears are deafened in our rebellion. We've run so far from home, we we don't hear his voice. In our rebellion, we think, and in our rebel moments, even still as his adopted in and rescued kids, we think that he can't see us or hear us. Like we've gone to a place that he can't see us or hear us in the moment. And we think, here's the crazy thing, we think that is exactly where we want to be. We think we want to be there, until we get there, right? Do you remember that moment as a child? Man, if I can just get out of range, like if I can just get out of dad's reach, if I can just get out of sight, if I can just get an earshot, I or my, my friends and I can do whatever we want to do without consequence. You, you did have those moments, right? Okay, well, I did. I mean, I, I did, just speaking from experience. 
So we get out of range and we do what we want, but then the consequences come for the choices that we make. And all of a sudden, alone and out of sight, while it was the sought out place, is now the scary place to be. And in that moment, alone and afraid and facing consequences that, quite frankly, we can't handle, we want one thing then. We want our dad. Just, I need my dad. Where's dad? We cry out for dad. But God's law tells us a sobering truth in our fatherlessness. It is too late for you in that moment. You cannot get yourself back home. You cannot run back to your father. You ran too far. Your sin is too great. You can't get yourself back home. And in our guilt and in our shame and in the consequences of our sin, the reality sinks in. I will never see my dad again. And I will never hear his comforting voice again. But then we're met with the good news of the gospel, which says that our, we sang about this before we uh, started um, our sermon this morning. Our father runs to the rescue of his absentee kids. Our father has a heart that will not stop. And so he runs to them through Jesus, who is our restoring king, who restores rebel kids into right relationship with their father. And so that's exactly what Jesus means when he says in our text this morning, which Grant read for us before we began, that's exactly what Jesus means when, when, when he says the pure in heart are blessed. The blessing is that they will see God again. They will see their father again. They can, they can go home like the rebel kids can see their dad, they can be close to their father, they can hear his voice. They're, what Jesus is saying is there is actually a way back to the father and a way to stay close to your father even though you're a rebel kid. Again, back to Dr. Bradley, he stated this negatively. He said, and he should have, he, he stated it correctly, fatherlessness affects all of us and is the root of all kinds of evil and brokenness. Guys, that is our spiritual reality. It's as simple as that. As absentee kids, fatherlessness is the root of all kinds of our evil, all of our evil, and all of our brokenness. Not that I am responsible for all of my brokenness. I am responsible for all of my evil. I'm not necessarily responsible for all of my brokenness because what's happened is other absentee kids who are not living to glorify God or for the good of other people, in their evil have introduced brokenness into my life, right? So I'm always responsible for my evil. I'm not always responsible for the brokenness that has been caused or happened, been introduced into my life by the evil of, of other people. But here we are in our fatherlessness. So let's state what Dr. Bradley states negatively. Let's state it positively. If fatherlessness is the root of all kinds of evil and brokenness, we could say the presence of a good father is the root of all kinds of life and wholeness, okay? Fatherlessness is the root, or the presence of a good father is the root of all kinds of life and wholeness in a whole bunch of different ways. Here are just a few examples. As it relates to love, in Jesus, I am a deeply loved son and daughter, and I am forever kept by him. As it relates to affirmation, which is so important in the life of a child and a, a person, in the gospel, I learned that my father is for me. He approves of me in Jesus. The same words that he spoke over Jesus, I'm well pleased in you. Now in Jesus, he speaks those words over me. 
which is amazing that the Father is well-pleased in me in spite of myself. In my identity, my dad gives me his name. I have a shared identity with my father. That's why we baptize people into the name of the father and into the name of the son and into the name of the spirit. We're talking about a family name, a family identity that is given you by faith. And so our father gives us this name and he gives us, in giving us the name, it's an identity, which makes our purpose in life very clear because identity always precedes purpose. So when I know who I am in Jesus, there is no longer any guessing as to why I exist. It's crystal clear. I exist for his fame and I exist for the good of other people. And that can be, you have so many free choices to make within uh, those two statements. You exist for the fame of God and for the good of other people. My purpose is clear. Man, and, and the Father gives us joy. The, the presence of a good father is the root of this kind of life, a joyful life. A good father gives his kids glad hearts. A good father gives his kids the gifts of joy and laughter and enjoyment and parties and feasting and adventure and play. Like play. That's what a good father does. Um, being back in the presence of our father instills confidence. We learn in the gospel that my dad is with me now. He's with me and he's protecting me. He's with me and he's providing for me. The presence of our father gives us hope. Our dad is working for our good. He is, he is working to make me whole. He is working to bring wholeness into all those areas of brokenness in my life. And our father's presence gives us endurance. Like we can keep going now, especially in difficult seasons because he's with us. He's with us and he's sovereign over us in our circumstances. And so I don't have to quit. I don't have to tap out. I can persevere. He's using these things for my good. So I'm good. It doesn't feel like I'm good, but I know that I'm good because my father is with me. Now here's what's important. This is what Jesus says, guys. This is what he's saying in the passage. Those blessings that we just rehearsed right? The love, the affirmation, the identity, the purpose, the joy, the confidence, the hope, the endurance, and we could just keep going. All of those blessings are given only to those who are close to the Father. Or as Jesus said, they are given to those who see God, who are back in proximity with their dad. Who are the people that see God now? This is the question we need to ask because this is what Jesus is saying in the text. Who are those that see God? Who is close to the Father? Well, Jesus is very clear. It's a very simple statement. He said, those who are pure in heart, they are the ones that see their father. They are the ones who are back in proximity with their dad. And so they are the blessed ones. They're the ones, they're the kids who receive these gifts from their dad. All right. Those who are pure in heart, see their father. They're close. So what does that mean then? What does it mean to be pure in heart? This is an important question for us. Am I, I mean, this is what we should be asking. Am I? pure in heart? Now let's begin to answer that question by considering what heart means in this passage. We know it doesn't mean our physical heart. Jesus is not saying if you have low blood pressure or uh, no risk of heart disease or you eat clean that you'll see your like It's not physical. We can set that aside. We also know it's not purely emotions. We know in the Bible, the word heart is much more comprehensive than just how I feel at any given time, right? So we're not just talking about my love, my feelings of love, or whatever feelings are present in my heart. Heart here, and in many other places in Scripture, means the center of my being as a person, or we could just say it this way, the core of who I am. And there are three aspects to that. There's the rational, 
the volitional and the emotional, or we could just say it this way. Let's say it this way. My thinking, my choosing, and my feeling, right? At the, in my heart, at the core of who I am, my thinking, my choosing, and my feeling, what I think, my will, what I choose, and how I feel. So taken together, those three aspects comprise what Jesus is saying about pure in heart. This is what we're talking about, my thinking, my choosing, and my feeling. So we could say this then, Purity in heart is being flawless, is being flawless in my thinking, my choosing, and my feeling. No flaws in any of those three areas. Pure, guiltless, spotless, no shame, nothing embarrassing there, nothing that couldn't be brought into the light, nothing that would give me embarrassment flawless in my thinking, choosing, and feeling. So to be, to be pure in heart also carries with it the sense of single-mindedness or that I am free from what somebody calls the tyranny of a divided self. Now, what do they mean by that? Well, here's what they mean. Jesus tells us what? We should love God with undivided affection and undivided allegiance. We should love God with every ounce of our being in every second of our lives, and that we should love our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. And how do we love ourselves? Really well, like really well, all, most of the time. But we are, I'm all about me, right? Don't have a problem there. So purity of heart then would look like at any given moment of my life, any second of any day, every second of every day, having all of my thinking, my thoughts, all of my choosing, and all of my feelings fueled with a singular motive of love for God and love for people with no hint of selfishness or divided loyalties. That is purity in heart. Which should cause us to push back a little bit and say, wow, very slowly, what was a hopeful statement, hey, you can see your dad again, you can be close to your dad again, becomes a hopeless one because it's clarified with a statement that if you are pure in heart, you can see your dad again. And if you are pure in heart, you can stay close to your dad again. It's almost as, you, as if you can feel the hope slipping from your fingers. As you think to yourself, I have never been pure if that's what purity of heart means. And I will never be pure in that way. So you're saying, like, I will never, like, never relationally be close to my father again. And fatherlessness is the root of all of my evil and brokenness. Well, if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. In Psalm 51, when David was confessing his sin... He prayed this way. He said, I mean, this is just as honest as it gets. He says, I know my transgressions. I know all the ways that I, my heart has not been pure. My sin, my rebellion from my father is ever before me. It doesn't matter where I go. What I see is my rebellion, right? So this is how David feels. And then listen to what he asks God later in this prayer, verse 11 of Psalm 51. He just asked his dad, he said, please don't, or he says, cast me not away from your presence. We would say it as, dad, please don't kick me out of the family. Don't throw me out of the house. Don't make me leave. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your comforting presence from me. That's David's fear. Guys, you're not alone if you feel that way. I mean, you have felt that way, right? At least once. 
maybe daily. We know what that feels like. We feel it. We see it. We, we, we feel the weight of those emotions. We say those words. Maybe you've prayed that kind of prayer over and over again because we know we're not pure in heart. We have a sense that we're not. But do we grasp the extent of our Maybe is another question we should ask. Like we, we get it. Okay, I'm not pure in heart. But day, there are days I come pretty close, John. Like there are days, there are moments But Jesus helps us understand the extent of our pollution. Here's one example in Matthew 15, verse 18. Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. See, when we rebel, we tend to blame everything out here. Jesus was always very clear, no, our defilement, our rebellion originates from something that's already deep within our fabric. It's in our heart already. It's in my thinking. It's in my feeling. It's in my choosing. He says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. What well, comes out of my heart? Out of the heart come, here I am. Evil thoughts, murder, which we know when Jesus was teaching, murder is not just the physical act of killing somebody. It's, it's a hatred-filled anger, right? That's how Jesus talked about anger. And when he talked about adultery, he wasn't just talking about the physical act of adultery. He said, guys, if you look after a woman to lust after her, you've already, and ladies, if you have looked after a man to lust after him, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, lying about people, slander. These, Jesus says, are what defile a person. Guys, that's sobering because Jesus is basically up on a little pedestal for everybody to look at, yours too. And so we can say, all right, here's my heart. Here are these rebel tendencies, these impure thoughts, feelings, and choices, and they just keep coming, and they just keep coming, and it doesn't stop. Um, anybody here ever had tapeworm? I wanted to get your good start, so I figured I'd a picture. Um, trust me, I could have done a lot, lot worse by uh, pretty sanitized right there. Um, so there's some tapeworm. Did you know that a tapeworm, on average, I mean, easily can be about 80 feet long? and remain in the host for about 30 years. Do you know? Do you know? So there, in other words, there is no end. And so you just start pulling and pulling. You're like, I'll get this. I got it. It's got to, it's got to be done eventually. But like 79 feet later and 29 years, there's the tapeworm still, still there, still coming. And Jesus says, guys, that, that is the reality of these impure thoughts, feelings, and um, and emotions and choices that are just deeply ingrained in who you are. Now, some of you don't like that. And let's take it off the screen. Here's a better example for you if you don't want that one. Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. Have any of you ever played whack-a-mole with tapeworm? No, I'm just, like, have you played whack-a-mole? Like, that, Jesus is saying the whack-a-mole machine is your heart. Like, one of these rebel tendencies pop up, the thought, the feeling, the choice, the act, and we beat it down. We push it back. We're like, okay, I'm good. But as soon as you're good, your heart generates another one in a different and you're fiercely trying to fight them back. Meanwhile, your heart is just cranking them out and they don't stop. So I think from what Jesus is saying, we just need to understand, man, my heart is really messed up. And Jeremiah describes our hearts this way. In Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can even begin to understand their own heart? All right, so here's the honesty from the gospel. My heart is sick perpetually. My own thoughts, feelings, and desires actually work to deceive me. Like, they're not just neutral. They are aggressively arrayed against me. 
Guys, basically what we're saying is being an absentee kid wrecked me. And it's not just that it wrecked me in the past. Like being an absentee kid has wrecked me well into the future. Like lots of enduring consequences. Lots of tapeworm to be pulled out. Lots of whack-a-mole to be beaten down. Now, Jesus had a bunch of conversations with absentee kids whose hearts were wrecked, right? All through the Gospels. We know this. Some of them eagerly admitted how messed up they were. We could think of Zacchaeus. He was eager to to receive Jesus' diagnosis and to repent and believe. We could talk about the woman at the well. She was eager and she was very honest about her heart. But there are others that Jesus spoke to, other absentee kids that maybe were more like you and me. Let me reverse that more like me and maybe like some of you. We know them as scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were very religious. They were religious leaders. We could say that they were church going. They were conservative. They were single issue voters, probably Republican or independents, libertarian. Like these, they, they, they dressed up well for church. They raised kids. It looked to be very moral on the outside. It just, they, they had it all, all their ducks in a row. The scribes and the Pharisees, the good people. But here's how Jesus begins his conversation with them. Matthew 23, verse 25. He says, woe to you. That's a, that's a warning statement, and it's, it's a statement of grave concern. It's just starting out a conversation with, I need to tell you something. You're in a lot of trouble. Woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Notice all the inside-outside language. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within, more outside-inside language, within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within, in your heart, in your thinking, in your feeling, and in your willing, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Guys, in the first example with dishes, Jesus was basically looking them in the eye and saying, guys, you, when I think of you, I think of a chow hall or a defect dish, or I think of an old country buffet dish. You walk up to the line, looks clean, but then you pick it up, and they're like, what is all this crusty? And you spend the entire time in line, not just getting food, but kind of like scraping out the, yeah, you're like, yeah, it's probably just like from the dishwasher. It's not that bad, but it's really bad. Like, it's really bad. And that's what Jesus is saying. Your lives are like that chow hall or defect or buffet dish. It looks clean on the outside, but let's just be honest for a minute. It's really nasty and filled with germs on the inside. It's bad. You're all cleaned up on the outside, but you're an absolute wreck on the inside. There's hypocrisy in there. You say things, you preach things to yourself and other people, but you don't practice them consistently. There's lawlessness, all kinds of impurity. There's greed at the root of all your choices and feelings and um, thoughts. And there's a whole bunch of self-indulgence. You just indulge yourself all the time. Then Jesus moved from the dish example to a tomb. And uh, man, we can get this here in Okinawa. Their lives were like Okinawan tombs. We, we, these, these are all over the place. And we drive by, the, we live next door to them. They're, our neighborhoods are off base, are filled with these. And they're beautiful. 
The architecture is beautiful on most of these, and those that are maintained are clean and whitewashed and painted, and you want to, like, move the door back and go inside. They're that inviting. Like, I would live in one if I could put a couple windows in, and that'd be pretty cool. But what's on the inside? Dead people's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. So their lives were like Okinawan tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead people's bones. And if we're willing to sit under the gospel for any length of time, the more we realize, holy cow, like he's not just talking to the scribes and Pharisees, he's, he's describing my own life. Like he, Jesus is talking about me. And so what am I supposed to do then? Like I, it's not that I just want to see my dad. Like I have to see my dad if I'm going to be made whole and have life. And I want those blessings that he's describing that a person who is pure in heart gets. So what am I to do? Well, religion, and let's not just assume that religion for everybody is church. That's the religion I grew up in. Some of you grew up in different religions, secularism, atheism. Uh, you're all in the religion of the military. Now that's its own religion. It's its own religion. Uh, our culture has its own religion. And, but what do all those religions have in common? They say to you, uh, don't worry, you change yourself from the outside in. You can win at whack-a-mole. You, you can do it. You can change your heart and be back to where you need to be by winning whack-a-mole. But that's backwards. Jesus, through the gospel, says, no, first you need to clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So religion says you change yourself from the outside in, but Jesus says, no, I change you from the inside out. So the weight of change, the responsibility of change in any religion is on you. In the gospel, the weight or the responsibility of change for you, the rebel, is actually on Jesus. And so every other religion and many Christian churches preach a gospel that, that puts the weight of change entirely on, on you. But Jesus says, no, um, you don't change yourself from the outside in. I change you from the inside out. So no more whack-a-mole. Jesus flips the whack-a-mole machine upside down and he unscrews the top. So where for your entire lifetime, you've been trying to beat it back. Jesus is ripping them out from the, from the inside out. He's, he's finding the individual moles, if you will, and following the wiring back all the way to the roots, and he's ripping them out at the root. And how does he do that? Well, I mean, we, uh, maybe two broad categories, and maybe it's too broad, but our satisfactions and our wounds, right? So any whack-a-mole that pops up is either a satisfaction where I'm not being satisfied in Jesus or a wound where I'm not finding my, my healing and my wholeness in Jesus. Because when I'm not satisfied in Jesus, I will take any number of good things and turn them into I will, a God thing, and it will control me and be destructive to me and somebody else. But not just my desires. So if I'm not satisfied in Jesus, I run to other things and make them idols. And if I've been wounded in life, which we all have, and we're not going to Jesus for that healing and wholeness and restoration. We will go other places and those become idols and they destroy us. So the question is then how? Like I want that change. How, like how, do I, how do I walk that out daily? What does that look like? Well, the good news for us is the pathway is right here in the Beatitudes. We, we don't need to make it complicated. We don't need to make it up. Jesus has laid it out so clearly for us here. We've, we've been rehearsing it every week. And so let's just go back to the first beatitude. What was it? Do you remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where the pathway begins. Because to be poor in spirit means, Jesus, I'm just like the Pharisee. You said they were blind. I can't see. I can't see all the impurities in my heart. 
I, I can't clean myself from the outside in. I can't, I can't even do that. I'm, I'm even blind to my blindness. So, but what I can do is in my poverty of spirit, I can cry out for help. That's it. That's all I got in my poverty of spirit. That's all I can do. So I cry out for help. He says, Dad, I need help. Here I am again today, and I need help. That's what I've got. David, David did this. Here's an example from Psalm 139, verse 23. He prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You see that? He's asking his father to look in and to see his thoughts, feelings, and choices, and to show him where there are impurities. See if there, are any grave, see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So for us, it would be us praying, Dad, please, you search me because I am inadequate to search my own heart. You see in me, you show me, you lead me toward life. And this is our daily prayer. This is what it sounds like to be poor in spirit. And when we pray this way, the Father will show us. And when he does, okay, so what's our next step? So we're poor in spirit. We cry out for help. Our Father helps us. He shows us. And when we see what's broken inside, we don't defend ourselves. We mourn. We mourn what we see through his eyes. That's the next beatitude, mourning. And David did this in Psalm 51. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I got no self-defense, none, no self-defense. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born as a rebel and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not an indictment on your mom, by the way. Your mom's cool. It's just... God stating again and again in a different way. We're just all born rebels. We're all born rebels. So my heart from the very beginning has these seeds of greed and self-indulgence from the beginning. And so we're poor in spirit. We say, dad, I need help. I need you to, to examine my heart for me. And I need you to show me all this junk and he shows us this junk. And so we go on. The next step in our path is mourning. We mourn over those things. We just, we're honest. Not just our own sins, but the sins of our culture and the sins of our church. Like no self-defense. Let's just be humble about this. Let's just mourn whatever's broken. And then our mourning leads us to meekness. Now we saw meekness a couple weeks ago. Meekness just means that we know we need mercy. I don't have what I need. I need mercy. And what we learned is meekness is essentially a true view of myself. It's the first time that I see myself the, the true way. The person who is truly meek is the one who is amazed daily at how kind our Father is toward us in spite of our rebellion and our many remaining rebel tendencies. Meekness means if I'm going to see my Father, He is going to need to make me what I am not. And I am not pure in heart, but I want to see my dad. And so He's... To be meek just acknowledges I can't do it. I have to get home. I have to see my dad, but I, I can't. So dad, please change me so that I can be with you. David knew that. Back, right back to Psalm 51, his prayer of confession in verse 10. He just asked dad for help. He said, dad, create in me a clean heart. I, I'm done playing whack-a-mole. I'm done trying to trace the, the tapeworm to the end. I just need you to create in me the clean heart that I can't create for myself. Create in me a clean heart, oh God and renew a right spirit within me. Guys, and that's what Jesus, our rescuing and reconciling king, does. He gives a pure heart to all who ask by faith. That's what 1 John 1.9 says. He, he, he is faithful and just to forgive all those 
who confess their sins to him. Jesus gives us a new heart. He gives us a new standing. He gives us proximity to the Father. So now what I'm given is this pure heart, which gives me a place next to my dad. And once Jesus has made my heart pure, once he has reconciled me to my dad, here's the good news. You cannot be moved away from that position. You cannot be moved away. Jesus does not take that heart change back. It's a permanent gift that he gives to you. The agreement between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is that whomever they rescue, whomever is adopted into the family, whomever repents and believes, whoever is poor of spirit and says, Dad, I need help, whoever they bring home stays home, never kicked out of the family. So once he's reconciled me to my dad, I can't be moved. But here, this is what's important. On any given day, right? Now that I'm a rescued kid, I'm back home with my dad. I have a pure heart. But on any given day, the clarity with which I see my dad and hear his voice will rise and fall, fall, depending on how I lead my heart. I'm back home with my dad, but just because I'm close to him doesn't mean I will see him clearly or hear his voice or know those gifts all the time. What matters is on any given day is how I lead my heart. And that's why Jesus in the Beatitudes said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's a hungering and a thirsting now that needs to be cultivated. Um, Jesus said it this way in 1 John 3.3. 3. Everyone who hopes in him, now everyone who hopes in the Father, that like, okay, my hope is dad's going to change me and I'm not. Everyone who hopes this way works also to purify himself just as his Father is pure. So it fuels us like, all right, Jesus has given me this heart. I'm back close to my dad. Now that I'm back close, I want to be able to hear his voice and see him clearly every day. So I'm going to cultivate this purity in my heart. I'm going to lead my heart in this. So the question is, is my hope in Jesus? Is my hope for a pure heart uh, kind of a hope that I will not any longer, I'm not hoping that it'll change from the outside in, but that Jesus will change me from the inside out? If yes, that will lead me to purify, purify myself. Again, let's ask this important, important question, how? Like, it sounds like I'm right back to playing whack-a-mole, kind of. Like, how do I purify myself day to day? Well, guys, again, Religion complicates it and makes it all about us, but let's just go, it's, it's right back to the Beatitudes. It is daily poverty of spirit, it's daily mourning, and it's daily allowing that mourning to lead to meekness, which cultivates this hunger and thirst after righteousness. Paul would summarize it this way in Romans 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's our daily pathway to purity now that we're back to the Father. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? That's Paul. That's just him reminding us it's inside out. You have to start with Christ. You, you express your poverty of spirit. I need help. Jesus, you're going to have to be the one to change me. I'm going to rehearse your gospel. Please change me. So I put on the Lord Jesus Christ and this new identity that I have from him. And then I make no provision for the flesh to gratify my old rebel desires. So 
poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, Jesus, I need help, please make me hunger and thirst, followed by, okay, my rebel tendencies no, will no longer dominate me. I'm not a slave to them. Jesus has set me free. Um, and so with his help, I will gradually work to make no provision for my old rebel tendencies. No longer a slave to my thoughts, no longer a slave to my feelings or my will. I will lead them through the gospel rather than being led by them. Now, if I could illustrate that just one way, I was thinking about this on my run this morning. Like, just what does that even look like? Um, I want to illustrate them with these, with these bases and a picture. I think uh, the picture of my son. Okay, so we just moved to Yomitan and lots of great reasons to move there. If there were no other good reasons, this, this is a reason enough for me. Like, we now have a yard close to big enough that justifies mowing in this way, and Johnny loves it. That is my hardworking young dude right there. And just, this was voluntary. No children were hurt or harmed or coerced, like in this. Like, he wanted to do this. He st- he, it's what he wants to do. And that could be a picture of me as a kid. I wanted to mow the yard, and I wanted to vacuum the carpet. That's just who we are. Like, I just want straight rows and lines and all of that. So there's Johnny mowing. So I was a kid, and I mowed the yard. And in our front yard, we had these, I mean, these exact bases for kickball and baseball. So you had home plate. Of course, you had first base. You had second base. And over here, you had third base. And so there was one particular day, nice sunny day in Vermont, and I'm out barefoot, responsibly, just like my son there. I just wanted to point that out. That was another willful choice, by the way, not accidental. Whatever. Um, so I'm out barefoot mowing in my yard in Vermont, glory, glory, just glorious day. And I'm approaching, the, I'm on the third baseline, I'm approaching third base. I'm like, there's no way the lawnmower picks this up and chews it up and spits it out. No way. So I just, I don't break stride, I keep going. I run right over third base with my lawnmower. And what do you know? It sucks it up, chews it up, and spits it out. Um, I was angry, frustrated, disappointed, more in the base than myself, but I was not and am not my dad's, like, sharpest child. <laughs> in fact, there are five of us, and I'm probably five of five. It's just the way it all, the way it happened. And so I'm like, it won't happen again. There's no way this repeats itself. And so as I, and I, had, I had multiple rows to think about it. And so now I'm coming down a row with two bases in it, and I start at the top with home plate, and I don't break stride. I'm, I, I run over it. What do you know? It sucks it up, chews it up, and spits it out. So I think to myself, there's no way that happens three times in a row. So there goes second base. And by the time I ran over second base, now I'm just angry. And I've, like, I've got all this premeditation going on in all these rows. And I just willfully run it over knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> Guys, I think that's what Paul's kind of getting after when he's talking about making no provision in the flesh. Um. I think these bases represent those things in our lives that are related to our old rebel tendencies and they're out there. And so like all the time we run over third base and we run it over and we're like, oops, I forgot that's how it happened. Like it, it actually does suck it up and chew it up and like spit it. Like that's death and destruction there and all kinds of consequences. And, um, and there's third base. But then we never pick up the bases. We just keep mowing our lines because we're like eventually I'm like... I'll just go around them. I, I, I won't run over them. Or, or I will get to the point where I can skillfully run this lawnmower over the bases and I won't be tempted anymore. And I will never suck them up anymore and chew them up and, and spit them out. And it's not that the bases are bad things, are they? They're not, they're not bad. They're, in fact, they're good things. They're, it's baseball. It's a beautiful, life-giving thing. There's 
all manner of goodness in these things. And guys, those, those idols at the root of all of our thoughts, feelings, and choices, like they're not bad things either. In fact, almost all of them are really good things that God has given to us to enjoy, but they have been corrupted or we've, we've made them ultimate things and they have replaced, replaced God. So I guess the question for us is what are the bases in our lives that we just keep running over and we think next time it's going to be different? For some, for some let's, just, let's just start with, with time with Jesus. Like week in and week out, we don't spend any time with him in the word. And we get to the end of the week and we're like, man, I just don't have any time. Like I got a half hour in this week, 20 minutes, but... That's all I got. But meanwhile, we'll, we'll invest five to 10 hours in a game that we're working on. So maybe for some of you, the base in your, in your life that needs to be picked up and, and, and cast aside is the gaming system that just owns your time. And maybe for some of you in your struggle with pornography, uh, the base in your life, like sex is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful gift from God, but it's really out of place um, or it's destructive when it's practiced or enjoyed outside of the context in which God gave you to enjoy it. And so for you, the base is like, why do you take your smartphone into your bedroom every night? Like, why do you even set yourself up like that? Why do you use your computer in a private place where you know there's no accountability and you're tired and, and nobody will know? And it's just, you just keep running over the bases, third, home, second, and first, and you think it's going to change. For some of you, it's image. Like, why do you have all those mirrors all over the place? Like, you can keep looking. Um, like, maybe move the mirror or take the mirror out. Or maybe for some of you, it's a scale. Like, like the scale owns you. It's a base. It's not a bad thing. But for you and your life, with whatever history it is that you have or the baggage or the wounding that you've had, it, it is a bad thing. It should be picked up. For some of us, it's gluttony, right? For some of us, it's drunkenness. Like at some point, the 12-pack just has to like be, you're going to keep running it over with your lawnmower if it's in your yard. For some of you, it's, it's um, man, the temptations to just use all kinds of time or to, to view things that you know um, distract you or take you away from Jesus, but yet we maintain a Netflix subscription and an Amazon subscription and an Apple TV Plus subscription or Apple whatever. I mean, just Disney Plus and just all the subscriptions that we can have, Hulu and this and that and the other thing, but they take away our time and they take away our joy and Nothing changes. We run third base over and it, it just destroys, but we have enough time in between that we kind of forget and we're like, it'll be different this time. And it's not different next time. For some of us, our, our notifications, we just need to turn notifications. Like, the base is your social media notifications. And uh, for me, that was the case this morning. I, I had recently posted about a book that I read. Um, what's the book? Drawing a blank on the book. What's the book, huh? I don't even know, dude. Jamar Tisby. Yeah, compromise. Color of compromise. About you know about about a book about the gospel and racial injustice and the history of our church of the church in America, being complicit in sins of racism. And as you might imagine, there are just I have multiple people trying to speak into that and. Some of those conversations are a little bit contentious and uncomfortable, and those notifications serve as this, con they stir up anxiety or anger or frustration or a need to respond like they own me. And so this morning I decided I wasn't going to mow that base over, and so it was just the simple decision of not checking my notifications. Like, that's it. Disabling notifications. Because it's really that simple. Um, but we have all of these bases in our lives they all represent these rebel tendencies, places we're going to be satisfied other than Jesus, places we're going for healing or hope other than Jesus, and they own us. And so the more, this morning, the, the invitation from Jesus is that he is our restoring king, 
and he restores us rebel kids into right relationships with the Father. All those who are poor in spirit and cry out for help will be given a pure heart and proximity to dad to receive these gifts. And then he gives us the ability to fight these remaining rebel tendencies. And so the question for us this morning is, what are those remaining rebel tendencies for you? What base for you today needs to be picked up and cast out of your yard before you run it over again uh, to your own destruction? Zach, I think we're going to come and and pray for us. Yeah, so Zach's going to come as one of our pastors and... um, He's just going to pray a prayer of confession for us, acknowledging our need and our inability and leading us collectively as a family back to Jesus where we can practice poverty of spirit together. And um, as he prays, I just want to encourage, don't just listen, pray with Zach and go to the Father and ask him for help. Um, We all need his help. And he's a father who is good and is glad to give us the help that we need in Jesus. Go ahead, Zach.